Bible study. It was something that I, I believe the Lord had uh, near and dear in my heart, and I believe that we should bring it to us here tonight. So over the next few weeks, guys, we're going to go into a, into a uh, fairly intense and detailed study on the second chapter of Second Peter. Second Peter. So Second Peter in chapter 2 and verse 1 tonight is where we will begin. Second Peter chapter 2 and in verse 1, the Bible says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and brought upon themselves swift destruction. Father in heaven, we thank you, dear Lord, for all that you've done, who and what you are. We thank you for the mighty uh, word that you've given us. We thank you for the time to be together one with another. We thank you for the time of prayer that we've had. Uh, Lord, we want to thank you for the reading of the letter and hearing the encouraging words of Brother Matthews in India. Do you pray you continue to bless him, the church, his family, and the Bible college there, dear Lord. They will continue to serve, uh, dear God, faithfully the way they have in these many years. So, Lord, we love you. Uh, we thank you, and we simply ask you tonight to bear witness upon our hearts and souls. Allow the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to have free reign this evening in our hearts and our lives, no matter where someone may be partaking into this lesson this evening in whatever venue. In Jesus Christ's name we ask, amen. So Second Peter and chapter 2 and verse 1. What you find in verse 1 is you find two classes of people. We find the false prophets and then we find the false teacher. There is a, there is a tribulational application to uh, this chapter uh, concerning the false prophets and the false teachers, and as you see later on the chapter, referring to uh, the dog who returns to his vomit and the sow to her mire. We are not looking at it through a tribulational lens. We are looking at it through a, 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 a historical and a practical application, doctrinal as well. Uh, so all three applications will fall where we are today. We're going to look at this, chapter 2, uh, by way of the truth that we have been given, uh, and, and really in a great way, guys, as an expose for where we are in the world today. Uh, guys, if we're honest with one another, things had fast, fast-tracked pretty quickly over the last couple of years. I mean, we had the lockdown, seemed like everything was on pause, and ever since the lockdown has let loose, guys, it seems like everything in the spiritual realm, far as good and evil, and the battlefield that we're facing, has just been kicked into high gear. I'm hearing more and more and more about people talking about the end times, and I'm, I'm reading about people uh, who were great men of the faith, men that I have preached with over the years, dear friends of mine, who have left the position of pre-tribulational rapture, because because of everything they're seeing, they're allowing their heart to be affected by what they're seeing in the world today, and they're leaving these standpoints that so clearly uh, the Apostle Paul uh, defined in his writings about the pre-tribulation rapture. But they're seeing the world essentially go to hell in a handbasket, and so what do they want to do? They want to forsake that thing and say, oh my soul, maybe it's a, a mid-tribulation rapture or a post, and guys, I'm telling you, mid-tribulation -tribu rapture, post-tribulational rapture for the church is a heretical teaching, okay? It is a heretical teaching. The tribulation period is not for the church. It is the, the final seven years of Daniel's 70th, is Daniel's 70th week of the prophesied 70 weeks that was appointed unto Israel, not the church. The church is gone, amen? So we need to understand the very simple, simple teaching today. But we're not going to go over that. But the reason I believe in my heart that we need to take a hold of this lesson here and get a hold of chapter 2 of 2 Peter is that we need to be awakened to where we are in the world today. And really and truly where we have been, because I believe most of our people are running around with blinkers on. They got their blinkers on, they're not looking, they got tunnel vision, and they're just following things because of the tradition of man, and it is a crying shame, okay? So in here, in, when we look at chapter 2 over the next couple of weeks, 
these two classes of people are false prophets and false teachers. They appear as they, them, and these throughout the entire chapter when Peter's referring to these two classes of people. Let me make something very, very, very clear this evening on the onset of this message and the, and the subsequent ones to follow. There are no real Christians in these groups. False prophets, false teachers are not real Christians. So you're not born again, okay? This is why we're calling them apostates. That's what they're known as. So I want to take the next couple of weeks, guys, to teach us on an idea of the apostates among us. The apostates among us, because they are among us today, all right? They are within us. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines apostate in the adjective form as false and traitorous. So the word apostate, we know, comes from the word apostasy, which means abandon, renunciate, or simply fall away. Okay, fall away. Our biblical definition of the word is found in what we must and is uh, occurring during the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is It is found to. So we must take on the biblical definition and understand uh, how it is relating to uh, the second coming. I say that because this is where we've, we see the biblical definition. Second Thessalonians in chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, Paul's writing back to them, uh, because they've been moved from their position, much like many men have today. And it says, And that you, be not, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us. False letters are written. As that the day of Christ is at hand, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, speaking of the day of Christ, which is the second advent of the Lord, when he places his foot on Mount Olives, which brings the seven-year tribulation period to a close. Okay? Make that very clear. If you write notes in your Bibles, verse 2, he's talking about the day of Christ. He's referring to the second coming. Verse 1 of 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 is the rapture of the church. That's what he's, what our, our <laughs> gathering together unto him. Verse one's not up there. I'm just giving you that. It's free. Okay. We'll pick up in verse three. Let no, no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And okay. That man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So guys, we are finding, verse 2, the reason Paul writes back to the church in Thessaloniki is in verse 2 he, uh, verse two and verse 3, uh, he, he, he references uh, false letters being written, te- teachings uh, th- uh, of those things in the church there that they had received by false teachers claiming that the second coming was right at hand. It was about to happen. And Paul biblically and quickly addresses this issue by reminding them... Uh, what had to happen, he's not only reminding what had to happen, but when we read a couple verses down, he goes, man, I've taught you these things. He's reminding them what I've already taught you and given them, but he gives them a two things that must occur, okay, before the second coming can ever happen, which are linked together with several other verses in the chapter in 2 Thessalonians. And what, is he, what does he mention? He says, except there come a fallen away first, and, what type of words and? Guys, remember? conjunction function what's your function yeah it's a conjunction it, t- it brings two things together i'll sing a little schoolhouse rock for you guys i'm showing my age all right and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition all right so both of these must happen before jesus christ returns and sets his kingdom up on this earth that and again that's news to some people in our world today we have people today in our very community in our very village that are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are working right now to build Jesus Christ's kingdom on this earth. And that's a lunacy. That's absolute lunacy to believe that. 
We're not doing that. We're not. Jesus is going to set his kingdom up. We as the bride of Christ are coming back with him during the second coming. But there's some things that got to happen before that. All right. So the man of sin we know is the Antichrist. Very clear. He is going to rule for seven years during Daniel's 70th week or otherwise known as the tribulation period. All right. The tribulation period is broken up into two, three and a half years or two sets of 42 months or two sets of 1260 days. Either which way you want to look at it. Okay. It's all the same. Those three and a half years or those 42 months or those 1260 days known as the tribulation period in the front. And then the latter part is called great tribulation. That's when Satan just, man, he just reckless abandon goes and seeks to destroy and to kill and all this and that. All right. So the falling away is the apostasy of the church. So when we're looking here, and again, we're referencing, tonight's a big introduction, I will tell you that. But when we're referencing these false teachers and false prophets that Peter does in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, we're talking about apostates, apostates among us today. And these are the two things that must happen, okay? First, there'll be a, a falling away first. That is the apostasy of the church. Now, let me ask you a question here tonight. Do we see uh, evidence of the apostate church today? Shake your head yes, or you make my illustration bad. Absolutely we do, don't we? Is the apostate church here? Most certainly it is. I could spend the next 60 minutes listing things of the apostate church that is occurring, the falling away from the truth, and they're masquerading around themselves. That's why I had a mask on that video just, or that fo uh, photo, the backdrop just a moment ago, because these apostates are masking themselves. They're in masquerade. They are, they are play actors as if they are a Christian, if you will. So the apostate church, the falling away of the church, guys. Now, I'm going to say this to you. I want to say this. I want to make this clear. This is one of the reasons this lesson has been so dear to me. I'll admit that there was an er there, this, this was always an area in my life early on, this particular topic, where I struggled with. Um, because men taught that the apostate, apostasy or the falling away were by saved people, okay, backsliding away from the truth. Backsliding, falling away from the church. Because the ideology was, well, they're in church, therefore they're meant to be part of the church, and they've fallen away. You see what I'm saying? And, and I struggled with that because I could not reconcile uh, the apostate church. And how can you fall away from the truth? How can, you know, you have the truth. You can't lose your salvation. We believe in eternal security. The Bible teaches eternal security. So it never registered with me, especially when you begin to tie what Peter says by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And as we look, we're going to look at Jude. We're going to tie those two together. Second chapter of, um, of Peter, second Peter and, uh, and the book of Jude together because they read almost identical one with another. You cannot reconcile those and say those are saved, born-again individuals, all right? Especially the false prophets, false teachers that Bervian mentioned there. So what do we see today? Do we see a synthetic church today forsaking the Word of God? Absolutely. We have, we have a specific prayer for us to plant a third church in another village because there is no Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church in that village. Zero. And the ones who are, do have a church there, they're not teaching any kind of truth. One's a, a staunch Calvinistic church, frozen chosen. The other one is a hypocrite adulterer in the pulpit, pastoring two or three people, lying to them. And the other one's a Bible, a Bible hater, okay? I'm just calling it like it is, guys. I, I, have, I, don't, I have no quorums in calling it like it is. I want to call the apostates out. One uh, believes the King James Bible is archaic, and he'll essentially preach and teach whatever the people tell him to do so. There you go. All right, those are called hirelings is what those are called, Okay. So I'm saying all that to say this tonight, making it very clear, if you will. We see a synthetic church who has forsaken the Word of God. And they're not even masked anymore, guys. They do it out in the open. 
But the apostasy began many years ago. It didn't just begin, guys, in 2021 or, you know, on the backside of the lockdown. You see, it began many years ago. So what we have to address are the questions. We have to address the questions. Are apostates saved and just backslidden, confused, deceived? And that's a legitimate question. It was one many years ago, especially in my younger days as a preacher and a pastor. I struggled with that. I could not reconcile how they could be saved and yet be um, an apostate, okay? Apostate different than being backslidden. So the old way of thinking was this. Reprobates are lost. And the old way of thinking where apostates are simply backsliding, backslidden. How, where do we get that from? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul says, Examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own self. Know you not your own self. How that Jesus Christ is in you. What's the next words? Except ye be reprobates. A reprobate is a lost individual. Romans chapter 1, because they knew God and they glorified him, not a God, they turned away from him. God turned him over to what kind of mind? A reprobate mind. A pedophile is a reprobate. He's done. He's crossed that line. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? All right. So I'm saying that to you tonight, making it clear. So the idea now that we look at when it comes to the apostate, the old way of thinking was, well, the reprobates are lost. The apostates over here, they're just backslidden. And we get this ideology from Revelation chapter 3. In the final church age, and again, we're, we're, we're dispensationalists, the final church age, uh, which is tied to the falling away of the church just before the rapture, which enables, the rapture is what enables the Antichrist to come forward. Remember the two-part formula that had to happen for the tribulation to begin and then the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, that's, what the, you know, that's where we get this idea that apostates, okay, are saved people but falling away. And stay with me now. Revelation chapter 3, read it from the screen. You don't need to turn there. Jesus Christ, speaking of this church of Laodicea, speaking of this last church age, our church age, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked." Now, I'm going to ask you a question here. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. We are the bride. We are called, what are we called as a church? We're called the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ said, I've, all that the Father has given me, he kept, right? And no man can pluck them out of my hands. That's what he said, didn't he? No man can pluck them out of my hands. Okay. But yet we got Jesus Christ in Revelation 3 spewing somebody out of his mouth. Now, I understand the tribulational application here, but I want you to look at it through the practical, through the spiritual view in our dispensation where we are as he's speaking to the last church age. He's spewing somebody out of his mouth, which that means something was in his body that he spewed out. Now, you say, wait a second. Are you telling me that we can lose our salvation? Not a bit, because you know what you don't do? When you get sick, you don't hack up your stomach. It doesn't come out of you feel like it, but you're not hacking up body parts. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're spewing out a foreign substance. Now, pay attention there. Okay, I preached a message. Matter of fact, it was 14 years ago, just a few, a few months ago, Brother Derek's and Sister Jana's um, wedding day, their anniversary was the other day, 14 years ago, and I was sick as I've ever been sick in my entire life on that day. I wasn't able to go to the wedding. I was sick at home. And the night before, I was throwing everything down. And I'm sorry, for the, I'm sorry to be gross, but I was, I was sick, guys. I was throwing up all over the place. And in the midst of that sickness, God gave me a thought. Why am I sick? Because something's in my body that needs to get out. Something's inside of me that doesn't belong there. 
And so when you look at the references here in verse 17 on your screen that says, Knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. Guys, poor, miserable, blind, naked, and wretched, those are all references of the lost. Of the lost. Not the saved. Jesus refers to the Pharisees as blind guides. He says that the blind leadeth the blind, and they both fall into ditch, yeah? Uh, of whom he calls, he also calls them uh, the children of the devil when he speaks to them. When he speaks about the wedding feast, which is the tying together of the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus Christ says in Luke chapter 14, verse 13, but when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the, the lame, and the blind. So practically, guys, we understand this is applied to the wedding feast and is a reference to the Gentiles and the undesirables being called to salvation as part of the bride of Christ. But what are they before they become part of the bride of Christ? They're poor, they're blind, they're lame, they're, blind, uh, they're naked, they're wretched. That is an evidence of a lost soul. You say, well, what does that mean, Revelation 3? Revelation 3, people try to twist and say you can lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation, number one. But people can be inside the church today, inside the church age, inside the building, and yet be out of Christ, not be inside Jesus Christ, not be part of his body, I should say. So I'm saying that to you tonight. To make it very clear, how do you reconcile the Lord spewing them out of his mouth? It's evidence. It is not evidence of losing salvation. But like I've already said, you spew out a foreign substance. And in this case, people were in the church, but they're not part of the church. Does that make sense to you tonight? Makes sense? So they're in the fold, but they're not part of the flock. Guys, they're not part of the body of Christ, and they have moved into the church with their filthy teachings, and it makes Jesus Christ sick. I believe in all my heart today, if Jesus Christ walked into the average quote-unquote church meeting in our country today, not a soul would know him. And I think he would be sick. So what are apostates? They are not Christians. Apostates are not, are not Christians who have just fallen away. Guys, they are not someone who has been saved and lost their salvation. They have never been saved at all. And you can bet your bottom dollar on that tonight. They did not have salvation and lose it. They are just like Judas, who was part of the twelve, but never was saved. The Bible says in John chapter 6, verses 70 and 71, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he, is, uh, he it is was, uh, was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Judas Iscariot was a devil. The words right there. One of you is, didn't have a devil, wasn't possessed of a devil, Satan moved into him later on, but he was the offspring of a devil. He was a devil. He was a demon. All right? Very clear. Now, why is he that? Judas was a devil. He's also the son of perdition. That's the other part that we read about the Antichrist, which, makes the, uh, which uh, he will make his return from his own place. And we read about Acts chapter 1, verse 25, as the Antichrist. Yes, he's coming back. John chapter 17, verse 12 says, While I was with you with them in the world, I kept them in uh, thy name, those that thou hast gave, uh, gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Okay? Who is that? The Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a following rain first. Point number one, the apostate church, which we are in today, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. There's something that has to happen before the Son of Perdition can be revealed, and that's the taking away of the Holy Spirit of God within the rapture of the church, okay? Do you understand that here tonight? So I'm saying all that to make this point. So now, to get past this introduction, 
when we speak about apostates among us, they are not saved people who have fallen away or backslidden. They are not saved people who lost their salvation. Guys, they are vile people who, uh, who never have been saved. All right? So that's the groundwork laid for 2 Peter chapter 2. And I want to, I want to begin to reveal the telltale marks, the indicators, if you will, of the apostates among us today. The best definition that I have ever found of apostates has been given by the late great pastor, Adrian Rogers, who said this. He said, an apostate is someone who received the truth, means they heard the truth, rejected the truth, ridiculed the truth, and eventually seeks to replace the truth. That's what an apostate is. Never saved, never been born again, never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but attack and mock and ridicule and try to replace what we know as the precious Word of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you know anyone in our area? Do you know anyone in your vicinity? Do you know anyone of your friends who ridicule the Word of God? Who reject the Word of God? Try to replace the Word of God? Huh? Some of the questions we had yesterday, self-evident. Do you understand? Self-evident. Apostates, never saved, never saved. Now, guys, for those watching or listening online and or any other venue for that matter, I'm going to make this statement, make it very clear. If you find yourself in a church or an institution who holds to uh, or teaches the things that we're going to discuss, here's what my prayer is. My prayer is that you depart, you run, you flee like the place is on fire, and you find you a Bible-believing church no matter what the drive is, Okay? Hey, the church alive is worth the drive, amen? That's what you need to think about. You know, there, 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 there's a cost when it comes to getting the truth, and you, may, you should be willing to pay that, amen? So let's look at verse 1 here tonight. We're just going to get into a little bit. I'm going to watch my time, also watching the sun there, if you will, make sure everyone gets home safely this evening. I had no dreams or anticipations of, um, of finishing this portion tonight. Uh, this lesson, by, by any means, I did think I'd get past page 4, but we're going to carry on. We're going to be sensible about it. Verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 2, the Bible says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So Peter says there were false prophets among the people, all right? Guys, when he says this, this is a direct reference to the Old Testament, all right? So you're going to find out throughout this entire chapter here, um, Peter is making a correlation between the Old Testament saints and the Old Testament false prophets and the New Testament saints and the New Testament false teachers. He's going to tie their destruction and judgment together with the destruction and judgment that can be expected for apostates in the New Testament as well. He's tying them together. What has happened before is going to happen again. And we see that Jude does the same thing and we'll be going back and forth between the two. So the false prophets, guys, uh, that are among the people, this is a direct reference to the Old Testament, which are linked together with the following statement that says, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Now, here's the interesting part about this, uh, about this nomenclature here is that it's a direct reference, number one, to the New Testament, specifically the New Testament church, all right? Now, there's no point in him saying, there's going to be false teachers in your day, all right? I don't know what the perversions say about this verse. I didn't look it up. Don't care. Um, I know he's talking to the New Testament church, all right? I'm making that point because of this. He's saying, that, he's saying here that he's not making a point that there's going to be false teachers, you know, in the world. 
he makes it very clear. He says, uh, when, he, when he says there, he says that uh, they're going to be among you. That's a present tense, do you understand? All right? As there were something past, among you something present. He's making it very clear. And who is it going to be? Well, he's addressing the church, man. You know, he's addressing the church. Look, look who the, the letter's written to. He's addressing saved born-again believers. So he's not saying false teachers are going to be floating around in the community. They're going to come in the church house. They're going to masquerade as Christians. They're going to mas- masquerade as a church, if you will, and say they have all the keys, kingdom of heaven and all this and that. So verse 1 connects the similarities of the Old Testament false prophets to the New Testament false teachers. And guys, you may be challenged to ask, you know, you know uh, why, shouldn't we have, why shouldn't we have false prophets in the New Testament? You know, why can't we say there's false prophets today? There are people that call themselves prophets. Just because somebody calls themselves a prophet doesn't make them a prophet, all right? The Bible calls them false teachers, all right? It's a a simple answer. And by the time Peter writes his epistle, God, the transition state of the church was passed. And, and, uh, you know, therefore, uh, maybe people who call themselves prophets, they're not prophets. You can call yourself whatever you want to. It doesn't make you that. You can call yourself a card dog. You're not that. You are what you are. So a prophet guide is someone who, a prophet is someone who reveals a truth which has otherwise been hidden. And uh, we have to have the completed work of God today. Uh, we don't need prophets. We don't need extra revelation. Uh, we don't need anything uh, revealed that's not inside the Holy Scriptures. Yes, we need it preached to us. Uh, yes, we need unfolding. We need to answer questions and all this and that. Uh, but guys, the Bible is not a book to be figured out like a code. The Bible is a book to be followed and obeyed, amen, and believed. So that's the key there. Paul tells us this concerning this very topic. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, I mean, sorry, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9 through 11 uh, says, for, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, uh, <clears throat> but when that which is perfect is come. Now, if you write in your Bibles, uh, underscore that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Th- th- that which is perfect is the finished word of God, the Bible we have today in the AV, okay? In the AV, nothing else, nothing less, in the AV. All right, so we need to understand that and make it very clear this evening that we know that there are, just as there was false prophets in the Old Testament, we're going to have false teachers in our world today. But those who are trying to prophet, prophet something new, uh, prophesy something new, or I got a vision from the Lord, all that, that's not biblical today. It is not for our day and age, okay? So I'm going to give you one point here uh, real quick, and we'll go through it. Not even necessarily a point, but... Prophets were for a short time uh, in the church, early, early, early on, all right? Open your Bibles, if you will. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. It's the only time I ask you to turn uh, tonight. We'll spend five minutes on this thought here, and then we will close and pick up where we left off uh, next week. So in Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 11, I'll say this. Prophets were for a short period of time, early, earlier on in the church, prior to, the, you know, in the midst of that transitional period, they were part of the church. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, and the Bible says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, okay? So here's what we need to understand. He gave some. The some are local New Testament churches from the start in the beginning of the New Testament church age. It does not mean a continuation. And when it says some, it does not mean every one, all right? So when we understand that he gave some of those local churches at that time, he gave some of them apostles. We know that. 
Because Peter, James, and John, and Paul pastored and directed and planted local churches. Very simple. Some local New Testament churches in the, uh, in the first century had apostles there, okay? They did, all right? Since the requirement of, of, of an uh, um, apostleship is to be seen, or is to see the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, um, that was what the requirement was. So no local church past the death of John uh, would have been given an apostle, guys. He was the last one to live, the last one to die of all apostles, all right? So this verse in 2 Peter 2, 1 in conjunction with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, rules out any apostolic secession in any form, and it proves it beyond a shadow of a doubt, okay? So we know they'll be given false teachers. Who are the false teachers in churches today who call themselves apostles? Anybody who calls themselves an apostle today, they're a liar, and they're an apostate, okay? So they got the first part of it right. They're apostates. They're not apostles. Let's make that clear. Apostolic secession is not biblical. The apostles die with John. And it proves it, okay? It's a false teacher, and if you're part of that today, you need to flee, you need to run, you need to get out of it, all right? Make that very, very clear. I've made this point time and time again. So since uh, the requirement for being an apostle is uh, seeing the resurrected Jesus Christ, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 tells us that uh, without faith it is impossible to please him. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4, speaks of when Paul uh, was stoned to death in Lystra, and uh, he was caught up into the third heaven, and he saw things that were unlawful for him to repeat, all right? So, if we understand that point right there, guys, if we see Jesus Christ, if you saw the resurrected Jesus Christ today, how much faith would you ever need from that point forward? Zero. So, by that uh, illustration um, right there alone, by that simple little equation then you will never be able to please God because you can't do it without faith. And if you see Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior, in our lifetime, all right, then you're not going to be able to please the Lord, all right? You wouldn't need faith. So, also, the other thing is, furthermore, to repeat, to record, to speak, to write, whatever you may have seen in so-called vision, according to Paul, is unlawful. Beloved, if Paul, the apostle, the mightiest man of God who ever walked the face of this planet, was not allowed to repeat what he saw in the third heaven, I can promise you no one else in this world are allowed to either. Amen? All right. So we're going to stop it right there tonight, guys. We're going to bring it to a close in this message. We're going to pick up with the next part in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Did not get as far as I would like to have gotten tonight, uh, but we're going to pick up with the prophets in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and how it ties correctly, if you will, uh, to... Uh, to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, as he said, there's false prophets. Uh, as there are false prophets, speaking of the Old Testament, there are going to be false teachers in the New Testament. So we'll pick up next Wednesday on the, uh, the apostates among us. Let's bow our heads, if we will. Father, uh, we thank you for the opportunity and time to be here tonight. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for a clear, concise, precious word. Uh, we ask of you tonight, dear Lord, if you bear witness upon our hearts and soul, take what we have heard this evening, dear God, and uh, write it upon the table of our heart and allow us to draw closer to you. And Father, I pray that with grace and love that you would, uh, you would prick people's heart to the truth tonight. And I pray for those, dear God, who are caught up in these false religions, caught up in a, a, a church or a movement, dear God, that is anti-biblical. I ask you to give them a reprieve, dear Lord. Give them liberty, I ask, dear God. Get them into a Bible-believing church. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Sarin Chapel in Abraham. 
We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel, and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall, and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today, by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what what would stop you right here, right now, from bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. Hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.